Welcome to Hack Stack Level 2. We will now be giving you all the hacks you need to take your life to greater heights and deeper fulfillment. To get the most out of this show, please listen to the basic training of episodes 1 through 11. And now, let's start hacking. Here's your host, Coz. Hey folks, and welcome to the show that gets you out of a rut and into the groove. All right, you know, I was thinking about that the other day. Uh, what is the difference between a rut and a groove? Well, a rut, think about that. You're just kind of doing the same thing every day. Uh, you're not giving it a lot of thought. Uh, you're definitely missing uh, a lot of passion when you're in a rut. There's a lot of dissatisfaction there. And things just quite aren't right. But a groove, man, What what is a groove, man? You're doing stuff you love. You're consistently doing it. You're doing it day in, day out. You're, you're moving toward a goal. It's the positive side of what some people call the grind, right? Some people call the grind. You, know, you get up, you go to work, you just kind of skate through the day. But other people get up and they get up with passion and they get up with purpose and they start grinding away, grinding away in a good way toward a goal. They're excited about the grind. They're excited about the work because they know, right, that you you become one step closer toward your goal. But you're excited about the grind because you know the harder you work, the more you will accomplish and the more steps you will take toward accomplishing your goals and becoming a better person and fulfilling that potential that you've always known that you really quite haven't done that, right? You, You know you've slacked off here and there. But that's what's exciting about creating the new normal. So let me ask you a quick question. Do you consider yourself successful? Think about that just for a little bit. Now, I'll, I'll tell you why I, I think that's, that's a bad question. Um, if you want to know the, the definition of success, you know, check out episode one. We go into that in uh, quite a bit of detail. But I, I really think that's, that's a bad question. But I asked you that on purpose just to get you thinking a little bit. Uh, I think the the better question is, are you consistent? I think if you're consistently doing the things that you need to do, if you're doing some of those keystone habits that we talked about in the past, if you consistently day in and day out, or, or at least more often than not, you know, the more consistent you are, success will just be a byproduct of all those uh, positive actions added up in your life. So try and stay as consistent as possible and get into that success groove and uh, things will just start going your way. You know, your excuses will go down, your complaining will go down, and your results will go up. It's, it's a really beautiful thing. And again, for some of you that have, have just tuned in, especially for the parenting stuff, uh, some of the things I just mentioned won't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, if you go back and listen to some of the past episodes, some of that stuff will uh, hopefully start to click. So anyway, long story short, Stay consistent, get into the groove, and things will start to go your way. All right, this episode we are going to continue the subject of parenting hacks. All the same, no matter time, no place. They don't understand that us kids are going to make some mistakes. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Little old school DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, right? It's been a while since I played some old school on there, so I thought I would throw that on there. But uh, really good topic, you know, in the song. You know, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. But you know what? Kids argue a whole bunch, like all the time. And as we discovered last time, uh, kids, 
You know, they're just arguing because they don't like the answer you give. They're they're not looking for reasons as to to why you don't want to give them what they want. They're just arguing because they want whatever it is that they want. So it's kind of a funny song, you know. There's no need to argue because parents just don't understand. Well, we we do understand. It's actually the kids that don't understand. But we'll we'll get into that in just a little bit. But in honor of Will Smith, since I just played his song, uh, I'm going to play some quotes from Will Smith. Now, to me, Will Smith's an, an interesting character. He popped onto the scene when I was in high school, so uh, I've sort of been following his career. I mean, it's pretty easy to follow, actually. You know, he, he started out in the music industry and then transitioned over to TV, and then he just became this ridiculous movie star with blockbuster after blockbuster. And um, Will Smith, this is going to sound like it's coming from, from left field, but he reminds me of Bruce Lee, <laughs> Bruce Lee, the martial artist in one respect. Okay. So Bruce Lee, if you've ever listened to his, uh, some of his quotes, some of his quotes are just incredibly insightful. They're, they're amazing and they're inspiring. And, and other quotes are just like out of left field and make absolutely no sense. And you kind of scratch your head and say like, man, what, what, what does this guy mean? What is he thinking? Well, Will Smith is a little bit that same way. He is very, very quotable. Occasionally he gets off into left field and to me makes no sense, but, um, I'm going to play this clip for you, which is a compilation of, of Will Smith quotes. And, um, hopefully I think they're pretty good. Uh, and honestly, you know, that's no different than anybody else. E- even myself and even this show, you, you probably hear things. You're like, man, that's awesome. That's great. And other times you're like, eh, you know, I, I don't know if I quite agree with that, which, which is fine. You know, I've said before, you don't have to agree 100% with everything a person says just to get uh, some value out of some of the things they say. You know, hopefully you're, you're reading things and listening to people that you more agree with than don't. But at the same time, you always want to hear... Uh, the different perspective. So anyway, that's just my little disclaimer uh, before I play this Will Smith clip. Uh, but for the most part, man, this is this is really good stuff. And I really like how he talks about the difference between talent and work ethic. So this is just a little warm up before we get into uh, the bulk of the show. So check this clip out and hopefully you get something out of it. All right, here you go. I have a great time with my life, and I want to share it. I love living. I think that's infectious. It's something that you can't fake. Greatness is not this um, wonderful, esoteric, elusive, uh, godlike feature that only the special among us are will ever taste you know it's something that truly exists in all of us it's very simple this is what i believe and i'm willing to die for it period the separation of talent and skill is one of the the the, the greatest misunderstood concepts for people who are trying to excel who have dreams that want to do things talent you have naturally skill is only developed by hours and hours and hours of beating on your craft I've, I've never really viewed myself as particularly talented where I excel is ridiculous 
sickening work ethic. You know, while the other guy's sleeping, I'm working. While the other guy's eating, I'm working. There's no easy way around it. No matter how talented you are, your talent is going to fail you if you're not skilled. You know, if you don't study, if you don't work uh, really hard and dedicate yourself to being better every single day, you'll never be able to communicate with, with people, with your artistry, the, the way that you want. So the only thing that I see that is distinctly different about me is I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. You might have more talent than me, you might be smarter than me, but if we get on the treadmill together, right, there's two things. You're getting off first, or I'm gonna die. It's really that simple. I want to do good. I want the world to be better because I was here. I want my life, I want my, my work, of my, my family, I want it to mean something. And it's like, it has, if, if you are not making someone else's life better, then you're wasting your time. I want to represent an idea. I want to represent possibilities. I want to represent the idea that you really can make what you, that's just, I just believe that. I, I believe that I can create whatever I want to create. The first step before anybody else in the world believes it is you have to believe it. There's no reason to have a plan B because it distracts from plan A. <laughs> I think that there's a certain delusional quality that all successful people have to have. You have to believe that something different than what has happened for the last 50 million years of history. You have to believe that something different can happen. Being realistic is the most commonly traveled road to mediocrity. Why would you be realistic? What's the point of being realistic? Just put up a bet. I'm going to do it. It's done. It's already done. The second I decide it's done, it's already done. So now we just got to wait for y'all to see. I love living. I think that's infectious. It's something that you can't fake. All right. So that was pretty cool. I like to hear some of those Will Smith quotes. Um, I'm sure you guys got something a little bit different uh, than I did out of that. There was a lot of good stuff in there. But the the one thing that stuck out to me is when he just says, you know, he's kind of talking about himself. He's like, you know, the one thing that separates me from other people is I just have ridiculous, sickening work ethic. And then what, what's really cool is is he talks about this quote unquote other guy, and and I don't know if this is this is more <laughs> more a, a a guy thing than a girl thing, um, but you know you, you always talk about like locker room material, right? So um, you know it just helps helps keep you motivated. So he says, you know, while the other guy's is sleeping, I'm working. While the other guy's eating, I'm working. And he just keeps talking about this other guy and. Um, it's kind of like those phrases where, you know, people say, uh, they said it couldn't be done. Well, well, who is the, they, and they said it couldn't be done or or who is the other guy when the other guy is, 
is is sleeping and you're working. Well, you know, that other guy could legitimately be your competition. Uh, that other guy could be competition toward um, a job promotion or, you know, somebody in the gym. Or better yet, the way I think of it is is kind of like the old me, you know. Uh, the old me would be sleeping in, but the new me is getting up and working. The old me was just kind of average, but the new me is just ridiculous, sick work ethic. And I think that's a that's a pretty cool concept to just kind of associate uh, something you want to be with something you no longer want to be. And if that comes in the form of quote the other guy quote so be it you know whatever whatever gets you fired up whatever gets you motivated. And I really think it's kind of cool to have your your own mantra. So you know Will Smith talks about his his work ethic. You know me personally, um, you know when I think about myself, I, I try and think you know what separates me from from other people. And I think the biggest thing is is what I talked about a little bit early. I'm really 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 consistent. You know, I'm getting up day in and day out. I'm getting up early. Uh, I'm doing the things I should. I've got my ducks in a row. Uh, all, all of that good stuff. And, and I don't say that to brag. I just I say that as as something that maybe you could use, just like Will Smith. You know, assign something positive to yourself that you are. You know, I've got good work ethic. I'm consistent. You know, I'm I'm kind to others. What whatever that happens to be, just keep telling yourself that and give yourself something. Give yourself something to strive for because trust me, there's going to be times when you don't feel like working. Uh, you don't feel like being consistent. You know, you don't feel like being nice to other people. And if you've said that to yourself time and time again, that, that, that's a, a little alarm that goes off in your head and you know, you go, all right, well, you know, I say this, that I am this way and I'm not being that way now. So I better step up and, and be the man or the woman that I've always told myself I could become. So anyway, that was just a, a few of my thoughts from that that clip. All right, so now let's get into uh, Parenting Hacks Part 2. This is actually a continuation of the John Roseman lectures. There were, there were two other full-on lectures. Uh, they were a bit more uh, academic in nature. Uh, I didn't think they were necessarily as entertaining as the first two that I played for you the last episode. Uh, so I, I edited it down a little bit and I think there's still a lot of good information, even some funny stories that I think you guys can use and, and apply to your parenting skills. And a lot of this lecture deals with, uh, what I referred to last time as alpha talk. Uh, well, it's actually what John Roseman referred to in one of his books, but that's pretty much the concept that's covered here. Uh, he talks a lot about, uh, when you talk to your kids, um, there, there's three or four things you need to keep in mind. You need to act like you know what you're doing. You need to act like you know where you're going. You need to act like you know what you want and you need to act like you know you're going to get it. So anyway, it's a really leadership intensive, uh, subject and he ties in leadership to parenting, whether it's, you know, you're the leader of a, a boardroom or an organization, or or your family. Uh, so it's a it's really some insightful information. So hopefully you'll enjoy this as much as the first clips from John Roseman, and uh, enjoy it. Check it out, and I'll have a few parting comments afterward about some of the things that I've done with with my kids that maybe you can use or find helpful. 
I'll also have a very interesting homework assignment for you. And believe it or not, this is a relatively short episode. I know if you look at the download, you see how long it is. <laughs> You're like, man, he did it again. He he had another long podcast. But there's a there's a big chunk of extra credit uh, that you uh, you may find interesting. But um, the the bulk of the show is coming up right here. All right, let's jump into John Roseman. I'll see you afterwards. So I ended the first talk talking about leadership discipline, and that's where we're going with this one. And we're we're going to just take this right up into the teenage years. By age three, a child has intuitively, inarticulately, come to one of two conclusions, and whether the child comes to one or the other conclusion will determine how easy it is to disciple this child. Conclusion number one, and I'm speaking as the child, I get it. It's my job to pay attention to you. And it's my job to do what you tell me to do. Conclusion number two, speaking again as the child, well, it's perfectly obvious to me. It's your job to pay attention to and do things for me. Cool, because I got something I want you to do right now. The problems that you, your generation, the generation that you represent in this audience today, the problems that you are having in the discipline of your children are due to the fact that 99% of America's children today are arriving at conclusion number two. Whether the child arrives at conclusion number one or conclusion number two has nothing to do with the child. And I'm going to illustrate that by asking you whose job is it, and you're going to answer that many of you are going to be confused at the question. You're going to answer it wrong because you're not going to be listening to the question very carefully, but I'm going to help you by emphasizing a specific word Whose job is it in here today to get you to pay attention to me? Whose job is it? Whose job is it to get you guys to pay attention to me? See, you're confused. Some of you are going, well, it's your job, John, and some of you are going, well, it's my job. It is my job to get you to pay attention to me today. Follow this analogy. If I don't succeed at getting you to pay attention, I can manufacture all number of excuses that will satisfy me as to why you didn't pay attention. I can say the air conditioning wasn't working properly, it was too hot in the room, people got tired, you know, you were hungry, the session lasts from... Uh, 11.30 until 1 o'clock. Many of you wished you were at lunch. You started getting jittery, hypoglycemic, and stuff like that, you know. And uh, it was, It's a beautiful day outside. But, you know, so you looked outside and, wow, I wish I was outside. And, uh, you know, I could manufacture one excuse after another to explain in a satisfactory way to myself why I did not succeed at getting you to pay attention. I could externalize, as we might say today, the responsibility, okay? Now, I am an effective public speaker because I accept complete 
unadulterated responsibility for getting you to pay attention. Complete. I don't care if the room is 110 degrees. And I've spoken in rooms where it got up to almost 100 degrees. In a room that gets to 100 degrees, it's my job to keep your attention. Are you willing to accept the same degree of responsibility where your children are concerned? Are you willing to accept, and this is the challenge, the same degree of responsibility where getting your children to pay attention to you is concerned? By the way, do you notice how I'm getting you to pay attention to me? I'm acting like I know what I'm doing. I'm acting like I know where I'm going. I'm acting like I know what I want, and I'm acting like I know I'm going to get it, okay? And folks, this is what it's all about. I can't stress enough. This business of discipline is not rocket science. It's not a technology. It's a presentation, okay? It's an attitude, You know, in some circles it's called charisma. and It's just getting up in front of your child, getting up in front of an audience, and acting like you know what you're doing, where you're going, what you want, and that you're going to get it. That's all it is. And today in America, what are we thinking discipline is? We're thinking discipline is all about the mastery of various reward and punishment delivery systems. You know, time out, one, two, three, magic, natural and logical consequences. And I mean, this is tremendously complicated. You know, okay, my child has just misbehaved. What do I do now? Reward, punishment, natural consequences, logical. I mean, I can't figure this stuff out. Well, the... The discipling of a child is a simple thing. It's a simple thing. It's all about how you look to the child. It's about communication. We think it's all about consequences. It's about how you communicate. Leadership is what it is. Leaders are not defined in terms of how well they deliver consequences, are they? Yes or no? No. Leaders are defined in how effectively they communicate They communicate a mission. They communicate expectations. They communicate encouragement. They communicate belief in the people that they are leading. This is what it's all about. It's all about presentation. It's all about communication. And not just the words that come out of your mouth, but your body language, the expression on your face, your tone of voice, your cadence of voice, the rhythm of your voice. That's what it's all about. Let me ask you guys a question. I told you earlier, leadership in a corporation, the principles that govern leadership in a corporation are the same as the principles that govern leadership in the military are the same as the principles that govern leadership in a church, an educational institution, and the raising of children. It's leadership. Do effective leaders talk a lot, yes or no? No, politicians talk a lot. You know, they flap their gums together, flap, 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 you know. Politicians talk a lot, okay? Effective leaders don't talk a lot. They, they say what they have to say. Watch a, a, watch a presidential news conference sometime. You know, the president walks in, you know, takes a question, takes a question, takes a question, 
and says, that's it, walks off, okay? He is trying to function as a leader. The politics, by the time you get to be president, and unfortunately this isn't always the case, the politics of your life ought to be over and done with, okay? Effective leaders don't talk a lot. They say what they mean, they mean what they say, and they say what they have to say in the briefest way possible. Do today's parents talk a lot to their children, yes or no? Okay. Leadership principle number one, violated. Do effective leaders explain themselves a lot, yes or no? No. Do today's parents explain themselves to their children a lot, yes or no? Yes. Leadership principle number two, violated. Are effective leaders concerned with approval, yes or no? No. Politicians are concerned with approval. Leaders are not, okay? Leaders are able to make unpopular decisions. They have to be able to make unpopular decisions. Are today's parents comfortable with making unpopular decisions, generally speaking, yes or no? No. Leadership principle number three, violated. Are effective leaders in close, intimate relationships with the people that they lead, yes or no? No. Are today's parents concerned and consumed with having close, intimate relationships with their children, yes or no? Yes. Leadership principle number four, violated. And I, folks, I could go on and on and on and on. But the summary of all this is you are your own worst enemy. Through no fault of your own, you are submitting to a parenting paradigm that does not work. Leadership is what it's all about. Your job during season two is to govern your child so effectively and efficiently that your child, in the way we we would say it today, internalizes your leadership paradigm, identifies with it and internalizes it such that he or she can use your leadership paradigm to properly govern him or herself during his or her teenage years. And more specifically, what we are seeing is a reflection of the complete breakdown of parenting between the second and third birthdays in the life of the child in America. The type of people who come to hear me talk, I want to tell you, you all do a fabulous job during season one. There are people out there in the world who don't do a good job during season one. They don't come to presentations like this. Everybody who comes to a presentation of this sort is a person who is dedicated to doing the absolute best job they possibly can. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here. So I don't need to talk to you about how to do season one. Okay? Your problem is that whereas you were orbiting properly around an 18-month-old, you can still be, ladies, found orbiting around, six years later, a -a seven-and-a-half-year-old. Because this has become the new ideal of good mothering in America. And I represent it by referring to what I call the mother bar. The mother bar. And the mother bar, this new standard of achievement for mothers in America, has a number of insidious messages written on it. The best mother is the mother who most diligently applies herself to helping her child with his homework every night. 
The best mother is the mother who drives her child to the most meaningful after-school activities. The best mother is the mother who's dedicated herself to helping her child get into the very best college. The best mother is the mother who pays her child the greatest amount of attention. The best mother is the mother who does the most for her child. The best mother who is the mother who stands ready to help her child solve any and all problems that come up in his life. The best mother is the most involved mother. My mother didn't believe it was her job to do things for me. My mother believed it was my job to do things for myself. My mother did not believe it was her job to be involved with me. In fact, folks, I understood at a very early age, intuitively, it was my job to keep my mother and later my mother and stepfather from getting involved. You know, my mother... And later, my mother and stepfather basically said to me, John Roseman, you go to school, you do what you're told, you obey the rules, you treat your teachers with respect, you behave yourself, you play fairly on the playground, you do your work, you do your best, and we won't have to get involved. (laughs) And what a wonderful thing that'll be for you and us both. See, all these new prescriptions are doing, ladies, is causing you stress, causing you anxiety, causing you to experience the raising of children, something fundamentally simple as burdensome. And you fight that. No, I mustn't admit that it's a burden. I must not admit it. But the secret that you're harboring, many of you, is it is a burden. It is not felt as something comfortable and natural for women to do in America anymore. It is confusing and anxiety-ridden and filled with resentment and then guilt and on and on and on. Today's mother, oh, I talk about this too. We talk about stay-at-home moms. You're not stay-at-home moms. You're drive-around moms, okay? Stay-at-home moms need stay-at-home kids. You know, these are stay-at-home moms, you know, and drive-around drive moms and drive-around kids. You know, it's drive-around as much as we can. And, you know, the more we drive around, the more miles we put on the SUV, the better a mother we are. You know, get involved. Fix things. Fix it. I came in the house one day. I was about seven, eight years old crying. My mother looked at me and she said, what is the matter? I mean, I was just sobbing almost hysterically. What is the matter? And I, through my sobs, said, the other kids weren't playing fair. They wouldn't let me have my turn. And my mother looked at me and she said, I have never liked those children. Those are horrible children. I've always known that they were horrible children. This just confirms that they are horrible children. And you came to the right place because I am never going to let you go outside and have those children hurt you ever again. You are going to stay in here with me until you go to college. I've got plenty of work for you to do in here. And I mean, I was like, what? And my mother put me to work. Washing floors, washing walls, doing this, doing that. And, you know, I am, like, begging my mom. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I, 
Oh, those children are horrible. You came to the right place. You know, and after about five days of doing nothing but work for my mother and begging my mother, she finally said, well, we'll give it one more try. And folks, I never, ever came home complaining about the way I was being treated at the hands of other children. I came to my mother once when I was 11 years old or so, and I said, Mom, Mom, I can't figure out this math problem, this math assignment. I, I need some help from you. And she took the book, and she looked at it, and she said, Oh, oh yeah, I remember this. They're by gosh, they're teaching this the same way they taught it to us when I was your age. I'd have thought they'd have changed all this by now. They seem like they believe they have to change everything, you know, whether it's working or not. Hmm. Takes the book, turns it back around, hands it to me and says, well, I figured that out, so can you. I want to hear this loudly. Do we in America, does American culture give you women permission today to be that kind of mother, yes or no? No. No. Today's mother has submitted to the absolutely absurd principle, This here it goes, if your child asks you for help, you are obligated to give it. What a ridiculous idea. I'm going to tell you something you already know. You just don't know you know it. 80% of the time that a child asks for help, he does not need it. He simply wants somebody to take the problem off his shoulders, to take the burden, to take the frustration, and fix it. He doesn't need the help. He just wants it because a child's tolerance for frustration is or should be a whole lot lower than an adult's. And my mother understood that. My mother understood that if you help 100% of the time, you are enabling and therefore weakening 80% of the time. And so my mother hands the book back to me and says, I figured that out, so can you. John Roseman, you're every bit as intelligent as I am. And then she said, what has caused me to remember this occasion for life, she said, and let me remind you, when I was your age, I was in an orphanage. I had no one to go to. And I figured this out, and so can you. Well, I'm 11 years old. Do you think I understood what my mother was saying? Yes or no? No, I did not. No, no. Children don't understand adults. Okay? Don't kid yourselves, folks. This is another myth that with the right words, you can get your child to understand you. This is why you're talking so much, okay? My mother knew that I was not going to understand her. Folks, it isn't your job to get your children to understand you. It is your job to plant seeds of understanding that will sprout when they are adults. I didn't understand this until I was an adult. I didn't start telling this story until I was in my late 20s, early 30s when I finally understood what my mother was trying to do, okay, and why she had refused to help me with this math assignment. Let me remind you that when I was your age, I was in an orphanage. I had no one to go to, and I figured it out, so can you. Yeah, but Mom, this is not an orphanage. This is our house, I said. All I'm asking for is your help, and this is what she did. Watch this. This is leadership. I already told you, I'm not going to help you. 
with the most pleasant of expressions on her face and the most matter-of-fact tone in her voice. And folks, this is leadership. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The fewer words you use, the more convincing you will be. Okay? And therefore, my mother just stood there and said, I already told you, I'm not going to help you. And that was it. And I looked at her and I said, Mom, Mom, you've got to be kidding. I've been working on this for 45 minutes, Mom. I can't get it. Oh, the heart of the child is full of drama. (laughs) The actual way that's stated in Proverbs is, foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. Oh, children have a great propensity for drama. I've been working on this for 45 minutes, Mom. I can't get it. Storm clouds roll across her face. Her whole visage changes. Her shoulders square. Her jaw strengthens. Her eyes narrow and the finger comes out. And she says, Don't you ever say that to me again, John Rosemond. What? What did I say? I didn't say anything wrong. John Rosemond, don't you ever come to me. Don't you ever again come to me and tell me that you've been working on something for 45 minutes and can't get it. That's what. You let me tell you something. Can you just feel the authority rolling off this woman as I'm doing this? Can you feel it? You let me tell you something. I've been working on some problems in my life now for four or five years and haven't figured them out. And you let me tell you several more things. I will never complain about them. I will never ask for help, and I will continue to work on these problems until I get them right if it takes me the rest of my days. Don't you ever again come to me and tell me you've been working on something for 45 minutes. Do you understand me? I guess. Okay. And then she did what I think she had seen the Queen of England do in a newsreel. With a flip of her wrist, she just went, now, go on. And I was dismissed from Her Majesty's presence. Act like you know what you're doing. Act like you know where you're going. You need to have, always in the forefront of your parent mind, a vision of the adult you want your child to be when your child is 30 years old, and you need to aim your parenting at that vision. And by the way, this makes it very simple. You know, you're confronted with a decision, and there are four options, and you don't know which one to choose from. All you've got to do is say, well, of these four options, which one is going to best advance our progress toward that goal? The adult I want you to be when you are 30 years old. And you see what happened in that interaction with my mother? My mother was willing to sacrifice the short-term goal of helping me get a good grade on that homework assignment for the long-term goal of raising a child who at the age of 30 was a child who believed he was capable and competent to handle life's challenges. 
you are going to find yourself sacrificing the short term in order to get to the long term. And this is something today's parents are not willing to do. You are so consumed with the short term, you don't realize that in the process you are hindering progress toward the long term. And this is why we've got kids 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 40, still living at home, okay, in America today. This is why. It's leadership. It's leadership. Here's what it looks like. Here's my mother telling me to pick up my toys when I am six years old. John Roseman, I want these toys picked up right now. All of them. I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. She turns around and walks out of the room. Let your yes be yes. And in this context, yes is an instruction. No is a refusal or a denial. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Use an economy of words. Mean what you say. Say what you mean. Say it in the fewest number of words possible. Act like you know what you're doing. Act like you know where you're going. Act like you know what you want. Act like you know you're going to get it. Why did she leave the room? Because in leaving the room, she was basically saying, putting the words in quotes to me, John Roseman, I know you're going to pick those up. I don't have to stand here to get you to pick those up. John Roseman, I want these toys picked up right now, all of them. I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. Walks out of the room. That's leadership parenting, folks. That's leadership speech. Okay? Let's contrast that with today's mother telling her child to pick up his toys when he's six years old. Hey, there sure are a lot of toys on the floor. Reverend Wilson is coming over, and it would be terrible if he stepped on one and broke it or tripped over one and hurt himself. So how about let's get these toys picked up now, okay? Billy, I'm talking to you. I've talked to you about how important it is to look at people who are talking to you. Hey, Billy, how about if we make it a game? We'll pick them up together. And you put the ones you pick up over there, and I'll put the ones I pick up over here, and whoever has the most picked up when they're all picked up gets a bowl of ice cream. What do you say? Oh, I'd love a bowl of ice cream, wouldn't you? I know you would. Your favorite ice cream's in the freezer. It's calling your name. Billy, Billy. I can just hear it. Okay, are you ready? Go. I'm picking up one. Are you? No, you're not. Okay. All right, I'm picking up two. I'm going to win that up. Billy, you can't win the ice cream by just watching Mommy pick up the toys. You have to pick up the toys too. I'm picking up three. Billy, you haven't picked up a toy yet. I'm going to win that ice cream. Oh, look, that one fell out of my hand, rolled over by you. Maybe you can get started by picking that one up. (sighs) Did I nail it or what? And then that woman comes up to me somewhere in America and tells me her child won't do what he's told. Excuse me? My child won't do... This is an actual conversation that took place in Easley, South Carolina about three years ago. John, my five-year-old daughter, won't do what she's told, won't do anything I tell her to do. What? My five-year-old daughter won't do anything I tell her to do. Well, of course she will. Yes, she will. No, John, she won't. Madam, she will. I've never known a five-year-old who wouldn't do what she was told. Now, you're dealing with human beings. So you're never going to get all the time. But I've never known a five-year-old who wouldn't do what she was told the overwhelming majority of times. Well, then you don't know my daughter because my daughter won't do what I tell her to do ever at all, anytime. 
I said, Madam, come on, let's stop kidding each other. You don't tell your daughter to do anything. You plead, bargain, bribe, cajole, reason, explain, promise, encourage. You don't tell your daughter to do anything. And when none of that works, then you start getting red in the face and threatened. And when that doesn't work because your daughter's already learned that most of the threats are empty, then you scream, and then you feel guilty, and then you do something for your daughter to, you know, purge your guilt, and then it's right back to pleading and bargaining and bribing and cajoling and reasoning and explaining and rewarding and promising and encouraging and around and threatening and yelling, and it's around and around you go. And, madam, you'll get out of this rut when you start telling your daughter what to do. It's all in the telling, folks. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anytime I, I have a parent say, John, my child won't take no for an answer, I absolutely know. Absolutely, positively, 110% no. I am talking to a parent who cannot let their no be no. This is a parent who does not realize that this problem of not taking no for an answer is not emanating from her child. You know, there is no can't-take-no-for-an-answer gene. There is no can't-take-no-for-an-answer biochemical. Now, we want to believe that today, right? To absolve us of responsibility for getting and maintaining our children's attention. We want to believe all these pseudo-medical myths. And I'm talking to a woman who wants to believe. This has nothing to do with her. It has to do with her child. If I can get this woman to understand and accept, this is all about you. This is not about your child. Boy, how liberating is that? Who is easier to change, you or somebody else? Who is it going to be easier for you to change, you or somebody else? All together now? All together now? You, exactly. It is going to be easier for you to change you than for you to change something about your child that you can't define in the first place. Change you. How liberating is this? You know? It's all in the presentation. All in the telling. Wow. This is amazing. I took a class on mind reading in psychology graduate school. And... I got to tell you, the emanation coming off you people right now is just incredible. (laughs) Well, John, okay, but what do you do if you come back into the room and the toys aren't picked up? (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right, now we go to consequences. Okay, but I I want to stress to you again, consequences are not plan A. Consequences are plan B. Okay? You think because you're trapped in a behavior modification paradigm that consequences are plan A. No, 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 folks. Your presentation is plan A. John Roseman, I want these toys picked up right now. I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. It's as simple as that. This isn't rocket science. You know, this isn't about choosing the exact precise words either. It's just being natural. That's all it is. Okay, so you come back into the room, the toys aren't picked up. Now we go to plan B, consequences. There are three rules that 
govern the delivery of consequences. Three rules. Here they are. Write them down. I see a lot of you writing things. So write them down. Rule number one, tell them once. Tell them once. Your children are are gifted, aren't they? (laughs) Tell them once. Rule number two, do what you can when you can. See, you guys, because you're trapped in a behavior modification paradigm, believe that because you can't delay consequences with a dog, you can't delay consequences with a human being. You believe that when your child misbehaves, you've got about five minutes to do something about it, or everything is lost, you know. And if you try to do something about it 20 minutes later, your child, and this is the way they put it, your child may not be able to connect the misbehavior with the consequence. He may become confused. Come on. You know, you can't say to a dog, Fido, we're not going to the park today because you peed on the rug yesterday. I hope this teaches you your your lesson. But you can do the equivalent of this with a human being. Now, you can't do it with a human being until the human being has developed what's called long-term language-based memory, which begins around age three. So... You can't do this with a two-year-old. You're going to have to cut a lot of your losses with a two-year-old. You know, you got about three minutes to do something with a two-year-old. That's it, you know? Fido, the two-year-old, all right? But you got about 24 hours with a three-and-a-half-year-old. You've got about three days with a four-year-old, a five-year-old. You've got a week with a six, seven, eight-year-old. You've got a couple of weeks with a nine, ten, and you've got months with a teenager, and you've got years with your husband, okay? So, <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay, do what you can when you can. As long as you describe the precipitating event and you understand how long language-based memory is approximately at any given age, you've got that length of time to do something about it. Okay, do what you can when you can. Doesn't that take a huge burden off of you? Right then and there? Yeah. Okay, and then rule number three, the punishment should never fit the crime. (laughs) If the crime is this big, the punishment should be ten times bigger. Why? So that the crime doesn't get ten times bigger. Grandma used to call it what? Nipping it in the bud. You're exactly right. Nipping it in the bud. And she often, mixing her metaphors, she often nipped it in the bud by lowering the boom. This is why we were called baby boomers, because we were boomed all the time, you know? by mothers who are nipping it in the bud, right? And folks, this may, these three rules make dis- the, the delivery of consequences so simple. Tell them once. You walk back into the room, the toys are on the floor, he's not there anymore, pick them up. Don't do this. Billy, you get yourself back in here and pick these toys up. Don't do it. Tell them once. You're going to be amazed at how quickly your children learn that from this day forth you are only going to say something one time. And it is going to be so much easier for them and you both to accustom them to the one-time rule, okay? Just pick them up. Well, throw them away, right, John? Somebody recently said, no, I wouldn't throw them away. They cost money. 
No, I might create what I call a charity box in the back hall, and with the understanding, anything of yours that I pick up that you have been told not to leave on the floor, I will put in the charity box. I don't care how much it costs. When it goes into the charity box, no power on earth will get it out of the charity box. No act on your part will get it out of the charity box. No penance on your part will get it out of the charity box. When the charity box is full, we take it to the charity and give it away. But I'm not going to throw it away. And I might, folks, just come into the room and pick it up and put it where it belongs. Put these toys where they belong. And then I'm going to number two. I'm going to do what I can when I can. And the punishment is not going to fit the crime if I can accomplish that. Okay? There's no perfection here. Don't expect perfection. Don't strain your brain too much about any of this. So I can do something right away. Billy! Billy! Are you getting ready to go to the movies with me? Yes, ma'am, you hear from the bedroom. Well, unfortunately, our plans have just suddenly changed. We're not going to be able to go to the movies after all. And he comes racing out of the room. But you said we were going to the movies. That's right, I did. And immediately after saying, hey, would you like to go to the movies? And you said, yes. I said, great. We'll go to the movies, but first I want these toys picked up, all of them. I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. And I walked out of the room. And I came back, I would guess, five, six minutes. The toys were here and you were not, so I picked them up. Because, Billy, I went to a parenting seminar earlier this week. (laughs) And from now on, you are no longer going to have a nagging mother in your life. Isn't this a wonderful thing? I'm only going to tell you anything one time. What a wonderful thing. Okay? I was cured at this seminar. (laughs) I picked them up. We'll try the movies another day. And you turn around and walk away. Folks, your child has connected those two events immediately. Okay? Well, Mom, throw them back on the floor. I'll pick them up. (laughs) Well, John, we weren't going to the movies. We were going to the dentist. Okay, pick them up and go to the dentist. And while you're on the way to the dentist, don't go, you didn't pick up those toys, young man, so you are going to pay a price when we get home. Don't do that kind of stuff. Okay? Just let the shoe fall, all right? Okay, you get home, you know, trip to the dentist, trip back home, fix dinner. Say nothing about the toys. Dinner is drawing to a close. Billy, are you done with your dinner? Yes, ma'am. Well, then you may go up to your room and get ready for bed. I'll be up there in a few minutes to help you say your prayers and tuck you in. What? (laughs) It's time for bed. And by the way, Your bedtime is 6.30, which is what time it is right now, for the next two weeks, Friday and Saturday included. Mom, why? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) At 3 o'clock this afternoon, I told you it was time to go to the dentist. And I told you I wanted these toys picked up that you were playing with in the living room before we went. And I said to you, I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. And I walked out of the room. And I came back in, and the toys were there, and you were not. And so I did what I'm going to do from now on. Whenever you don't do something that I've told you to do, I'm going to do it. I picked up those toys, and my reward for picking up your toys is two weeks of child-free evenings. (laughs) Well, 
we didn't get home till 7.30, and I mean, his bedtime's 8.30, John, so, I mean, it would have taken me until, you know, 8 o'clock to get him in, but that's not a real, you know, powerful signal. Okay, we'll just file it then. You know, just file it. He's five years old. You got four or five days here. All right, he comes running in the house three days later, Sunday afternoon. Mom, mom, Charlie's mom is, is getting a group of kids together to go see that new Disney movie. She's invited me to go. She'll pay for my ticket, my popcorn, my Coke, everything. Can I go, please, mom, please, please? Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, this is a shame. Mom, what do you mean a shame? This is just a shame. It's a shame. That's all it is. Mom, what are you talking about? It's a shame. Well, come with me. Yes, it happened in here. Three days ago, Thursday afternoon, 3 o'clock, I walked into this room where you were playing with your Legos and Matchbox cars, and I said, it's time to go to the dentist. Before we go, I want these toys picked up. I'll be back in a few minutes to see that it's done. I walked out of the room. I came back in five minutes. You were nowhere to be seen. So I did what I'm going to do from now on. I picked them up. I put them away. And I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame, Billy, that because you would not pick up, spend three minutes picking up your toys three days ago, you will not be allowed to spend the afternoon at the movies with your friends. I think it's a shame. And you turn around and you walk away. And folks, you will not believe until you see it with your own eyes how quickly this takes with your child. Three weeks from now, if this is what you begin doing from this day forth, the simple kind of stuff, not complicated, not rocket science, just as golfers would say, play it as it lays, okay? Three weeks from now, Billy, I need this last garbage bag taken out to the can. The truck is coming down the street. Hurry up from me, please. (laughs) Why do I always have to take out garbage? Why don't you get Susie to take out the garbage? Why do you always ask me? Because I'm a boy, she's a girl or something. Why do I always have to do it, Billy? You don't want to take out the garbage? No, I don't want to take it out. Well, that's okay, because you know I will. (laughs) No, no, give me the garbage, give me the garbage. (laughs) Mommy didn't let me finish. I don't want to, but I'm going to, okay? (laughs) This is such simple stuff, okay? Such simple stuff. Okay, so... We are not going to be able to solve this problem in America anytime soon. But you can solve this problem in your house. Begin solving it with any age child today. Because, again, this is not rocket science. This is not complicated. This is not psychology. This is not theory. This is just down-to-earth, common-sense stuff. I love John Roseman, man. He's got the coolest talks and the coolest stories. And I have used so many of his, even just his stories, I try and use in a practical way. And I'm tell, I tell you what, man, <laughs> they really, really work. For example, when he tells the story about, you know, his son coming inside and complaining about the, the neighbors not playing nice with him, I have used a variation of that uh, no less than 10 times. So... If my kids come in and they're complaining about the neighbors, I mean, I, I almost verbatim. I'm like, oh, those those kids are so mean. I tell you what, we're, we're going to stay in and we're never going to play outside again. And, and sure enough, all of a sudden, the kids aren't that mean anymore and my kids go out and play. 
Same thing when my when my daughter comes and complains about my my son or vice versa. You know, they're bickering and you know they're they're tattling on each other and I, I'll do some variation of that story. I'm like, oh, I know he's he's being so mean. How about we not play with him and let's go to bed early so you don't have to deal with your mean brother or your mean sister. And they haven't caught on to this game yet, and I hope they don't catch on for a while. But they uh, they shape up really quick because they realize that uh, dealing with an annoying sibling is a lot better than going to bed early. And even that story where he's talking about the parent that goes, okay, you know, if you don't want to take out the trash, I can do it. And the kid's like, no, 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 wait, I'll do it, I'll do it. I don't know, obviously, because he knows what happens when he doesn't do what he's told. So I've done that a few different times. Uh, And it's all based on that concept of delayed punishment, where you just, you just stay calm, you, you, you know, if the kid was supposed to take out the trash or pick out the toy, pick up the toys, you just do what the kid was supposed to do and don't even mention it. And then within, uh, when the opportunity presents itself within a day or two, um, you just you lower the boom. So definitely take those stories, tweak them, and make them your own. Use those techniques. They're very powerful. So again, my number one hack for this show is the same as last show. And I, I really think it's a, a key principle to all this is if you can stay calm as a parent in the midst of crazy screaming, arguing and complaining kids, if you can be that calm factor, um, man, your leadership skills and your parenting skills will just go through the roof. And I've used uh, almost on a weekly basis, I've used some of those phrases. They've, they've kind of been a staple in my parenting uh, repertoire and uh, from the last episode where John Roseman talks about, uh, he was talking about the motorcycle and, you know, the son goes, oh, we're not done talking about this. And, and the father goes, hey, son, by the way, we're done talking about this. So I've used that line a few times as well. I, I use it actually all the time. You know, I, I can tell when my son really, really wants something. And he's arguing, he's pushing back. I, I try and walk away and he'll actually follow me and I'll just tell him, son, we're done with this subject and that's it. And that, that pretty much stops, uh, the discussion. I will also use the phrase, um, this, this is one I sort of developed on my own. It kind of comes in handy sometimes. Uh, so once your child is established and knows the ticketing system, he kind of knows the rules. Um, you know, in the heat of the moment, he or she may forget those rules because that they have their eye on the prize. Whatever they're trying to bamboozle you as the parent, whatever they're trying to get out of you, uh, and they forget those rules sometimes, uh, if I don't want to take away a ticket, uh, I, I definitely don't want to warn the child. I, I don't like to play that game, or I try not to play that game. Uh, but I will just ask my daughter or my son straight up. I go... Um, are you disobeying me right now? And that, that's usually enough to kind of shake them out of their uh, argumentative mode and, and realize that they're, they're kind of on notice because I'm, I'm looking for an answer. Um, if they say yes, I just go and I take away a ticket right then and there. But usually they're, they're smart enough to not say yes. So, so usually it's followed by no and then silence and the, the subject is closed. So that's another good phrase you might want to stick in your back pocket is, are you disobeying me right now? So here is the uh, morbid game, actually a thought experiment I, I kind of want you to play as a homework assignment. Okay, so 
Um, especially if your, your, your kids are, are right around either side of, of the age of my kids right now, which is, uh, eight and six years old. I want you to imagine that in 10 years you are going to die. All right. So your kid will be, um, just call it whatever, 17 years old, and you are no longer on this planet. Uh, you had an untimely accident. You got hit by a Greyhound bus. You know, that's, the old proverbial thing everyone talks about. What if you get hit by a bus? Well, let's say 10 years from now, you get hit by a bus. So I'm placing a sense of urgency into your parenting paradigm. So you now have whatever, five to 10 years now to train your child to be a fully functional and well-rounded adult. You know, what are you going to do to accomplish that goal? The problem is that it seems like in culture today, many, many parents are really, really focused, and I'm guilty of this as well, um, but really focused on the skills, okay? So I want my kid to to read and and learn math and um, play sports and all that good stuff, and, you know, obviously, if you you look out there in the world, there's a lot of parents that are way more concerned that their, (laughs) their kid make the major leagues. Uh, as opposed to get straight A's. But whether it's sports or academic, there's there's a huge emphasis placed on skill development. And, and it is important. However, the thing that's overlooked the most and the thing that I want you guys to concentrate on the most is character development because there's a lot more finesse in trying to develop the character of a child. And it takes a certain amount of uh, creativity and uh, just reflection and thought, like how can I teach my kid this character trait okay the first character trait i want to talk about is kindness and and here's basically what i do to try and uh, teach that to my kids um and again there's no one right way to do it but you do need to make a conscious effort to actually just kind of try and experiment with some some of these things so when i drop my kids off i i usually ask them a question Uh, when i drop them off at school i i actually just say hey um, what can you do today to be kind to your teacher? And, and every day I just change the name. Okay, what can you do today to be kind to the lunch lady? Or what can you do today to be kind to so-and-so in your class? And, you know, I'm talking to an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, so sometimes the answer is, well, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to be nice, <laughs> which, you know, it's, it's better than nothing. But I try and get a little more specific uh, out of my children. But if nothing else, I, I I at least get them thinking about what they can do to be kind toward other kids or other people in their school. And, and then here's the key. At the end of the day, I'll follow up and say, hey, what did you do to be nice? And sometimes they actually just fess up. They're like, oh, I really didn't do anything. I'll, I'll try better tomorrow. So uh, just sort of play, planting that seed uh, will hopefully help develop that character trait of kindness. All right, next character trait, uh, empathy. Okay, not to be confused with apathy. So empathy, right? So we're, we're driving again in the car and um, my son sees someone that's homeless. Well, I kind of, you know, he's like, why is that man standing there with, with dirty clothes and a cardboard sign? And that's, <laughs> that's kind of a loaded question to answer. But, I, you know, I fumble through it and I, I try my best and I'm like, well, you know, some people don't have a place to live. Well, why don't they have a place to live? Well, you know, some people 
um, they've lost their job or they've had problems with their family or the, you know, they're, you know, I'm trying to describe mental illness or I'm like, you know, their mind is kind of sick and not, you know, right. And they're, they're unhealthy in their mind. And, you know, I'm trying to translate all these deep worldly problems to, to an eight year old, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult, but you know, you just try and you'd be surprised what kind of, kind of sinks in and, and, and sticks with them. And I go, you know, but you know, we try and donate to the, to the homeless shelter and help them out. And he's like, well, does that give them food? Are they hungry? And I said, yeah, you know, and, and that was it. I kind of drive by. Well, sure enough, like a week later, we, we see another person at the side of the road and, you know, my son goes, daddy, that's, that's a homeless person. He's, he's hungry. Let's give him some money. So, you know, what do I do? I, I give my son a, a dollar bill and I, I pull up, um, and I roll down the window and, and my son actually gives the dollar bill to the homeless person. And it was actually a really, a really kind of touching moment because he, you know, my son is the one that asked to do that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Now, you know, I'm not, <laughs> not going to tell him that, you know, some of these people are trying to scam you and I don't want him to be jaded or anything like that. So, um, it, it was kind of nice to just teach that, that lesson to, to empathize with the, the struggles of other people. So, it, so it's starting to stick. Now, what's the moral of this story and why have I been, um, talking about all this? Well, again, that's, that's your homework assignment. It's, it's a lot of self-reflection and what can you do to better your children and instill some of those character traits that you want them to have. So again, you have what, 10 years before you get hit by a Greyhound bus. Just think of ways that you can teach these character traits. And and it's it's really there's really no right answer, but uh, I will say that doing nothing and not thinking about this and not trying to come up with creative ways, that's a really good way to not <laughs> translate those character traits that you want your kids to have to them. So be thoughtful, uh talk to your friends about it. Maybe they have some creative ideas, uh but do your best to uh come up with some of these things. I think you could even Google character trait studies or teaching character to your kids. That that kind of stuff. And I I have a feeling you you'll try a couple things. It may actually even feel a little bit awkward and and it's not going to work, but the the first time you actually see something sort of stick uh, and, and you see your kid kind of get it, I, I think you'll realize how, how worth it it was to kind of just keep plugging away until you, till you find something that resonates with your, your child. So that's it. Uh, give that a try, and hopefully we've put another couple tools in the parenting tool belt for you, and uh, we will catch you next time. So stick around for extra credit if you want. It's a few hacks that deal with both parenting and fitness, so sort of interesting. Anyway, we'll catch you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success. There is nothing wrong with your mobile device. You are venturing into deeper meaning and higher learning. It's time for extra credit.
All right, so what you're about to hear is uh, a podcast that has both Ben Greenfield and Ari Mizell. Okay, so I've featured both of these guys on previous podcasts. Um, Ben Greenfield is uh, a fitness expert, and Ari Mizell is a productivity expert. And he's no slacker in the fitness department either. But they're going to go over their top 10 hacks for raising uh, healthy and successful kids. Um, they're both parents uh, of young children. I think Ari has twin boys, uh, as as does Ben Greenfield. Um, so I think Ari has a total of three children, and Ben, I believe, has uh, just the two twin boys. So they go over their top 10 hacks. Now, here I'll, I'll, I'll warn you, um, you're, you're going to hear uh, nine or 10 things here, and probably, I would guess, eight... <laughs> out of 10 you you'll you might find not interesting at all but like many things uh that you read or hear and even on this podcast uh even if you only get one or two good things that you can use that will well be worth your time so i'll let you just listen in and then afterwards i'll go over uh, a few things from this list that i have used to a certain amount of success all right enjoy Ari, do you want to go ahead and, and jump in with your first tip for raising healthy, smart, and successful kids? Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. So uh, my first one, you know, we're going to kind of run the gamut here. We, we cover so many different topics, but I, I think that both of us have chosen sort of a, a good variety. So my, my very first one is about magnesium flake baths, basically. <laughs> so um, a lot of people, and a lot of people probably listening to our podcast are very familiar with Epsom salts and magnesium chloride, but you can actually get magnesium flakes, which are a little more expensive, but it's a much purer form of magnesium. And what I like to do is when I either give my sons baths or take baths with them is I really like to put in a whole bunch of these magnesium flakes. And it's very, very calming. It's a very soothing experience. You know, just like you use Epsom salts to deal with muscle aches and soreness, it actually helps to infuse magnesium basically through the skin into your bodies and that of your children. And a lot of people are magnesium deficient. It's one of those uh, nutrients that people tend to, to really not get enough of. So as a nighttime bath routine, having a sort of mm. uh, envelopment of magnesium seems to work really, really well for helping kids calm down and, and also to help with any po- – well, not completely, but help at least a little bit with any possible uh, magnesium deficiencies. That's but really interesting. In- I, I, I've used magnesium flake baths myself uh, as an athlete, yeah. like post-workout, post-long run, post-hard weight training session. I have never once in my life or in, in the six years of my children's life given them a magnesium flake bath. So, so you found that this actually helps, helps your kids to sleep. Do you primarily do it at night or – yeah, exactly. At night, and and it's noticeable. It really is noticeable um, because there's a lot of. T- First of all, and, and you know, I'm sure you know this, but you really have to use a lot of Epsom salts with it. You know, like a, a bag that is six. It's like one cup per gallon. You know, so yeah. you might end up using a pretty big bag. So when you put the right amount in, I, I do find it really does act as a calming experience. In fact, uh, Ben, my my son Ben, who is two and a half. I now, love how you named your son after me, by the way. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, I changed it once we started doing this. I'm together. flattered. Um, so, 
what I, I really do notice, like when sometimes you get in the bath and he plays around, thrashes around, which is fine in itself. But when we do these like really good magnesium soaks, he'll just lie on me um, and just relax, and it's a really, it's just a nice experience. Huh. Uh, but one thing I learned from you, which was that you really don't absorb the magnesium uh, above 102 degrees, you say? Or uh, it, it? It's between 103 and 105. Basically, when you touch it and it's uncomfortably hot, you're not going to absorb the magnesium chloride. Right. And you wouldn't want to, and just generally, you wouldn't really want to put your you wouldn't, kids in a You wouldn't want to toss a child into that environment anyways. Right. Exactly. And, and just for like a sort of a reference point, most hot tubs max out at 104 degrees. That's pretty hot. Mm. So anyway, that's my first one. Cool. I like it. And the fact that you take a bath with your kids is really interesting because it relates to the first tip that I wanted to give folks. And that is that my kids, or I, I make it a point with my kids to roughhouse and wrestle with them several times per week. And it's really interesting. The research that's been done on this is you get this release of brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, the same thing that gets released like when, hu- when humans, <laughs> kids are humans too, I guess, when adults go for a run or something like that. This increases neuronal growth. But they've done studies on roughhousing and found that rough and tumble play does the same thing in kids, both boys and girls. And then, of course, this made me think of this when you talked about taking a bath with your kids. Oxytocin is this other hormone that gets released. It's the bonding hormone that brings you closer to your kids. You also get that. So you get this one-two hormone combo when you wrestle and roughhouse with your kids. And we have all sorts of ways that we do it. So, uh, for example, one of the things that I'll do is I'll cut a workout short. So I'll cut a workout short by anything from 5 to 15 minutes, take the kids out in the front lawn, and tell them that their job is to try and knock me down. And then I get into all these different (laughs) positions, isometric squats, isometric lunges, and I have the boys basically run at me and try and take me down. I've got another one where I get down into like a low push-up position on the ground and have them get on top of me, and they, they have to just hold me down. We've got another one where we play, you know, zombie where I chase them around the house and I'm, I'm wearing a giant blanket over my head and basically trying to, to grab them and hunt them down. But we fight a lot. Um, we also, and, and I'll, I'll try and find some links for folks to put them in the show notes, we also have Thai kickboxing gear. So all of us have the, the special shorts that you kind of pull above your belly button and the special gloves. And we do Thai kickboxing. We each get in a corner. You know, mom does the ding, 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 rings the bell. And we all go at each other. And the, the, what research has shown is it doesn't make kids more violent. It, it, no, quite the opposite. Yeah, it teaches social skills. It teaches them the difference between play and aggression. It teaches them the about kind of hostility versus kindness. It teaches them how to play by the rules. Um, it teaches them uh, how to deal with things like pain and discomfort because they are going to experience that a little bit. But if you aren't currently kind of going out of your way to, to wrestle around with your kids, even if your kids are a little bit older – um, I would make it a point. You know, there's a reason that, that I'm picking the things that I'm picking in today's podcast. This is one of the more powerful things that I've seen in terms of both research as well as personal experience to really bring you closer and to advance the development of both boys and girls. So roughhousing slash wrestling slash rough and tumble play. And, and, you know, so it's, it, I want to just add to that, too. It's interesting uh, about the oxytocin issue or connection because – uh, there's a study that I, I think I shared this with you, but I don't remember uh, recently that came out that said that 
uh, fathers who are very involved in childcare, it actually rewires our brains to be more receptive to oxytocin, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So it, it almost makes us more maternal in some ways. Yep. But uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being uh, receptive to oxytocin. So yeah, it's the cuddle hormone, basically. Yep, exactly, and and incidentally, we are we are also in the process of hanging a punching bag in the gym as well. So we're gonna we're gonna add that component <laughs> in again. All meant not to make the kids more aggressive, but to instead teach them how how to deal with other people um, in in physically responsible ways and help them to to almost like um, release pent up energy and aggression. So. And quite honestly, to, to learn healthy limits, yep, actually. Exactly. Because you really, in that situation, you really do learn the difference between playing around and, and hurting, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so my next one is about uh, sleep, actually. So we have, uh, you don't want to have white noise machines running all night long. I know that's a very common thing. And the issue with that is that just as Ben was just talking about BDNF, that brain-derived nootropic factor, White noise raises that as well for babies, and you actually don't want that when babies are sleeping. Really? Uh, je- yeah. So uh, basically, it supposedly, and I don't know how much faith, uh, faith I can put in this, but apparently it can lead to a lowering of IQ later in life. So, so you uh, mean excessive just- BDNF while a child is right. asleep yeah, yeah. from playing like these wind noises and whale noises and stuff like that? That's what you're talking about? Well, no. So not the wind noises and the whale noises, actually. It's more the white noise. Okay. Because it's so, you know, the white noise is almost, like, confusing. Uh, you really can't pinpoint a sound. Yeah, so, uh, because, by the way, if whale noises or wind noises cause people to lose intelligence, then the whole, country, the, the whole world would be, like, <laughs> in a No, in no a one deficit. can go camping anymore. Exactly. So, uh, but, of course, especially with twins, you do have to try to mitigate one waking up the other as much as possible or, you know, a, bar- a dog barking or dropping it. Like, it, it's really, it, it's an issue. And otherwise, if they're waking up all night long, you're never going to sleep, and that's a whole other issue. So we found there's, there's very, there's only one company that I found that makes this, actually, but it is a noise-activated noise machine. And it doesn't, it does the white noise, but it can do uh, ocean sounds and it can do rain, and I find the rain to be the most soothing per- personally and to them. So what do you mean it's but noise activated? It's, like it's only going to play when they're rolling around in their beds and stuff like that? or Exactly. So basically if one of them starts to like rouse a little bit or roll around or you know yelp, basically, it turns on, and I had it set the lowest uh, timer, which was 15 minutes. So basically, I felt very comfortable with that. It's very effective. They kind of like make some noise. It turns on and it soothes them back to sleep, but it's not running all night long. Interesting. So, I, yeah, so that's sort of like a, a, a little bit of a tech hack, I think, that has really, really helped. Because, again, you really don't want it running all night long. It's, not, it's just not ideal for their brain development, for, for overstimulation. And also, they can get used to it. Basically. What, about, so, what about adults? Do you, do you think that adults should not be listening to, um, to white noise all night long? No. So for adults, it's, it's completely opposite, basically. Uh, for adults, it, it, does, it drowns out that issue, or it drowns everything out, and it actually does have that sort of calming effect. And it's almost like uh, because of that confusion that happens because of the noise, it's basically signaling your brain that it's okay to just sort of like let go and give in. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a, a total 180 here and talk about something that we use quite a bit in our house because we like to make sure that our kids' blood sugar levels are stabilized. 
Um, you know, I've personally done genetic testing. I know I'm at, at higher than normal risk for type two diabetes. Um, I've seen my mom's lab results. She's got blood sugar levels that are through the roof. Sorry, mom, if you're listening in, um, both of her parents had type two diabetes. So we're really careful with, with, with sugar in our house and we use coconut quite a bit. And, and three of kind of the go-to things that, that we, that we make as almost like desserts for the kids that have fats that slow down the sugar release. Um, but, but that also have less sugar in them than the typical desserts that you might buy at the grocery store when you're making them yourself. One is coconut popsicles. And these mm. actually have gelatin in them, which is really good for a kid's uh, bones and joints and also their stomach. And it's very easy. You just need a, a normal popsicle mold, and then you get a can of full-fat coconut milk. So we use, we use a BPA-free coconut milk, a, a brand called um, Native Forest is what we use. You get a can of coconut milk, and you mix that with about a tablespoon or two of what we use is a real organic maple syrup. So it's still a relatively nutrient-dense sweetener. There's not a lot of it in there. That just gives a little bit of sweetness. And that that's for, uh, I believe it's an 8-popsicle mold. It might even be a 12-popsicle mold. I don't remember. But, it, but it's not that much maple syrup. Okay, a couple tablespoons of maple syrup. About a tablespoon of regular, like, real vanilla extract. You put about a tablespoon of shredded coconut flakes. We use uh, Bob's Red Mill. We just buy this off Amazon. Bob's Red Mill shredded coconut flakes. And then two tablespoons of gelatin. So you can use like Great Lakes gelatin. Um, Bernard Jensen is another brand. And all you do is you, you just mix all that together and you pour it into the mold. And then you throw it in the freezer. And this makes these really tasty coconut popsicles that the kids love. So that's one thing that we do with coconuts. The other thing that we'll do is a coconut ice cream and it's very very easy to make a, a basic coconut ice cream um it's actually I, I say coconut ice cream but it's more like this coconut chocolatey pudding type of stuff that we put in the freezer and freeze basically all you do is you blend an avocado with some coconut milk to desired texture a little bit of dark cacao powder some cinnamon some vanilla extract, and then if you want, you can throw about half a banana in there. And you just blend all that up. And you can eat it right away as a pudding, or you can put it in the freezer, and it literally tastes just like chocolate pudding. And if you freeze it, it tastes like chocolate, avocado, coconut ice cream. Okay, so that's number two. And then the last thing that we do with coconuts is my wife makes coconut macaroons. And these are really good. What you do is you mix a, a couple of eggs and a little bit of honey into like a, a mixing bowl and you can put a little bit of salt in there and then you stir in a bunch of coconut flakes or shredded coconut one to two cups of that and then you just chill all of that in the refrigerator and this makes like this this coconut flake batter and basically you can take that batter and you form it into these little macaroon shapes and you just bake that in the oven for about 10 minutes put it in the oven about 350 you bake it the macaroons turn golden brown and they're not super sweet and the kids love them so I'll, I'll put recipes to all three of those in the show notes for folks, but we are, we are big fans of coconut flakes, shredded coconut, coconut milk um, as ways to make like tasty little treats for the kids that slow down the release of sugars and that are also chock full of healthy fats. 
Yeah, and that's a, I mean, those are, those all sound really delicious. They're, yeah, I, I like them too, actually. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, so usually the chocolate, of, of all the ones I just described, the one that's that's the least sweet is the chocolate avocado pudding stuff. Um, and I'll make that, leave the banana out, and it pretty much has no sweetener whatsoever. You can put a little stevia in there if you want. Um, and I, I like that as just like a way, like I can stay in ketosis eating that. So really good stuff. Yeah, I know, you're, I know you like your stevia. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, well, so mine is, uh, my next one is actually a food one also, uh, and it's sort of similar, but again, I have to go with a gadget sometimes. So there is a banana, a, a frozen banana ice cream making machine. It's a very specific thing, and uh, we'll put a, we'll have a link to that in all the resources, of course, but it's almost like a, uh, it looks like a very small meat grinder, basically. Really? And yeah, so what you do is you freeze bananas. Right. And that is, and you then peel, peel, peel them first, be, right? Yes, please peel them first. Uh, I've, I made that mistake twice, so uh, I don't know how I did it twice after learning <laughs> for the first time how ridiculous it is. But uh, so you tap frozen bananas, and, and usually what we'll do is we'll just buy a bunch, and, and you, know, you have like a dozen frozen in the, in the in the freezer. And then this thing is it's pretty hardcore. It's like very, it's a plastic thing, but uh, you basically, it looks like a juice press almost, and you're pushing the banana down to it, and it really grinds it down to a very smooth, almost frozen yogurt-like texture. And if nothing else, that could be it. If that's one ingredient, banana ice cream, and it, and you're done. Uh, and and what, what's this, do what's this thing called that, that you're using? Like, is it like a specific brand, or is it just called a banana uh, yeah, ice cream maker? It, it's, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's called Fro... Um, I'm going to have the links. Okay. We'll, we'll put it in, okay. the, in the show notes because I'm blanking on the name. Okay. But uh, it, it's a specific one that. Oh, it's called Yonanas. That's what it's called. Yonanas, okay. Yonanas. So uh, what it does, obviously, so it makes the frozen banana, but then that is sort of the base for everything. So you can mix in whatever you want, including uh, dark cacao nibs, for instance. You could put some coconut in there. Uh, what we actually do a lot is we'll put some sort of greens in there. So spinach surprisingly goes really well with banana. Um, they cancel each other out in an odd way, and it's really delicious. It sounds kind of uh, it sounds kind of horrible when you describe it. The it's spinach really, banana. I'm surprised to hear you say that. <laughs> it's really good uh, because it, I don't know. It just it really tastes good. But you can throw in the cinnamon. I feel like you can you can put a lot of the stuff in there that you may want to sort of sneak yeah. into a kid's diet. Yeah, uh, or not sneak in, but just give it to them in like a subtle way. I think I think the the cool thing about bananas is kind of like coconuts. They offer this this creamy like texture, which which right. can really um, you know I I'm I'm joking, but when I when I say it sounds horrible with the spinach because I could actually see it giving it like a like a creamy kind of sweet taste that a kid might like. Yeah, well, but so then the other thing that you can do with it, and this is sort of going a little bit. Uh, deeper on the nutrition scale but if you want to and i don't necessarily think that this is for kids you could try it but uh using green bananas and then you basically get sort of like a resistant mm. starch ice cream interesting um which which so whenever and i a, use and a child with horrible gas well yeah maybe <laughs> maybe maybe um whenever i use bananas in my smoothies i almost always use a green banana uh-huh. for that that resistant starch and a little bit less sugar right but uh, it's it's something that tr- that you could try if you were worried about digestive issues. Although, if you follow our tips, your kids shouldn't have too many digestive issues anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So, Yonanas. Cool, I like it. All right, so here's my next tip. Um, I really uh, purchase my kids a lot of books. 
Um, I, I personally purchase a lot of books. I, I see them as very valuable investments in my mind and my body and my life. When I read a book on parenting, a lot of times as I'm taking notes as I'm reading that book, and a perfect example is a very good recent book that I read called Mindful Parenting. And when I read Mindful Parenting, it gave a suggestion in that book. I think during the course of me reading that book, I came across 10 different books that you could get a child that will help them become more mindful, that will help them to to meditate, help them to breathe deeply, help them to engage in gratefulness practices, and help them do all these things that I freaking wish my parents had taught me when it comes to, um, you know, th- these are the things that help people to live longer, that help people to de-stress. And frankly, you don't have to wait until you're 30 years old and have a stress attack or a panic attack to realize that mindfulness and meditation and deep breathing is actually good for you. So the problem, though, is that whenever I come across a bunch of books, and I also homeschool my kids, so I've always got these different curriculums that I'm ordering for them, it, it, it's a little bit time-consuming for me to go and find good deals on books. So one thing that I do is I've actually outsourced book buying. So I have a virtual assistant, and in my case, I I hired a virtual assistant off of uh, Craigslist, but you can also get virtual assistants on on all sorts of different websites. You know, I know you talk about them quite a bit in your your book, Ari, uh, and and on your podcast. And when it comes to productivity, you talk about uh, fancy hands and um, what... Virtual and fancy hands. Virtual is another one. And, yeah. and so what I do is I'll send my VA a list of like 10 books and I'll say, find the best deal on these books. I don't care if they're used or they're new and have them sent to my house by X date. Um, and I'm a huge, I mean, like, you know, I, I outsource mowing my lawn so that I can do the things that I'm good at cause I'm crappy at mowing the lawn. So I outsource that and I, you know, I, I outsource, you know, people mailing my, my mail at the post office and, and all these things, but book buying for my kids, I, that's turned out oddly enough to be something that has been really, really nice. Cause I'll, I'll read a book like this, come up with 10 books for, for my kids, send them off via email and, and immediately they just start to roll in via the mail at a really, really good price. Um, and interestingly, kudos to Ari because I, I learned about this for, from Ari actually, this new app, this, this Fetch app. I was hoping you'd yeah, mention and, and, and uh, you told me about this. And it's it's this, this app that you can download to your phone. It's called Fetch. And what happens is you, you can just take a picture of something that you want to buy or just type in a quick description of something that you want to buy. And uh, somebody finds the best price on it and it gets sent to your house and the app is free. And they're, they're like you don't pay anything. I don't, I don't know how they make money exactly off of it. But um, anyways, outsourcing the purchasing of books specifically is something that I do quite a bit with my kids. And we have tons of books. And I don't mind. I would rather my kids have tons of books than tons of toys. And we're constantly reading them. And I'm not spending all my time looking for a good price on books. And, you know, it, books are one of those things where you the, you can get a huge range of pricing with books. You know, mm-hmm. you get, like, a slightly used book that has no signs of wear and tear except, like, there's a corner off of one page and it's a quarter of the price of the brand new. Like, it's really kind of crazy the range that you see with books. So, yeah, if you've got somebody working on it after you, that's great. Well, okay, so my, my next two are going to be productivity-based. But So the first one is Amazon Subscribe and Save. Nice. So, 
a lot of people are not familiar with this service because Amazon doesn't market it particularly well. But essentially with Amazon Subscribe and Save, you can subscribe to any non-perishable item that Amazon stocks in its warehouses. And you pick how often you want it and how many units you want to come. They give you uh, a week's notice and you can cancel anytime. You get an immediate 15% discount and uh, you can uh, get extra deliveries whenever you want. So what can you subscribe to? Well, so in the last four years, I'd say, my wife and I have not had to shop for things like paper towel, uh, paper towels, diapers, dog food, batteries, toothbrushes, toothpaste. Uh, they have such a wide variety of products now. All cleaning supplies for our house, and, and they, they have lots of or, um, organic options, green cleaning products. Amazon really stocks a lot of great stuff. And the thing is, you don't have to think about this stuff anymore. It's so, it, we've literally saved thousands of hours and thousands of dollars by doing this because not only do we not have to worry about when we go to the store and forgetting something that we thought we needed, but we also don't have to come back from the store and having bought something that we already had and didn't need either. Uh, it's just a, a real waste of time. And then the other side of it is that things that have a timing associated with them, for instance, we don't have one of these anymore, but having a, a Brita water filter that you have to change every 60 days, mm -hmm. why, set a remind, why set a reminder that you then have to re get reminded, then go get it, and then do the thing? Why not just have it show up every two months? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to replace your toothbrush every three months. So I don't even think about it. Every three months, we get an order of toothbrushes in the mail. And it's like, oh, okay, throw out the old ones or recycle the old ones and take the new ones. So it's just a huge stress reliever, time saver. And, and money saver, honestly. Yeah. You know, Amazon a couple of things that I've already mentioned we have on subscribe and save. Coconut milk, uh, BPA-free coconut milk. I've got that on subscribe and save. I've got Bob's Red Milk, Coconut Flakes on subscribe and save. I've got... Oh, they have all of Bob's Red Milk stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So if, if you if you haven't yet tapped into Amazon subscribe and save, I totally agree. So... Um, and oh, sorry. Oh, I, I want to add one other thing actually about that that I forgot. The, the newest Amazon... Uh, app has a search function called Flow. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this? Uh, no. Okay, so you, you've always used to be able to scan a barcode with the Amazon app, and they actually got into kind of a lot of controversy about this because they were stealing business from places. Uh -huh. But uh, with the Flow app, you pull it up and you, show, you use the camera to look at something, and it has all these blue dots, and it, it basically recognizes the product, whether it's a Thomas the Train toy or a book or whatever it is, and you literally just go like boom, 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 and it makes a whole shopping list uh, based on that. And then you know, holy cow! Usually it's a better price than Amazon. And then you can just go add them all to your cart. It's really cool. Nice. I like it. Amazon Flow. Cool. Yep. All right. So my next tip is about essential oils. And the reason that I want to talk about essential oils, um, and this is a perfect illustration. I was over at one of my friend's houses uh, a couple of weeks ago, and on his kitchen counter was this giant plastic uh, box that was full of drugs. Ibuprofen, <laughs> Advil, Pepto-Bismol, fr freaking like kids Tylenol, adult Tylenol, antihistamines, like you name it. And, you know... I don't know how many Americans have a similar medicine cabinet or box in their closet or in their home or maybe on their kitchen counter, but it's shocking what's going on when it comes to kids' guts, kids' livers, kids' immune systems, and everything else that happens when, when you're dumping these, these drugs and, you know, and, you know, of course, things like antibiotics, et cetera, as, as well, which, which completely turn a child's gut and an adult's gut into a floral wasteland. So 
one thing that that I really tapped into, and I, I actually came down with a staph infection a couple of years ago. I did a triathlon out in the wilderness. I got some cuts. It got infected at the gym a few days later, and I got this nasty MRSA staph infection. And I didn't want to go on these big gun antibiotics necessary to knock it out because I knew what that was going to do to my gut. I also wanted to make sure that I protected my kids and protected my family because it, it is uh, a, a fairly um, – it, it, it's something that, that your kids can catch. It, it's kind of nasty, but like it, it's skin-to-skin contact, you know, that type of thing. Um, MRSA can spread. So what I did was I started to research essential oils. And initially, what I did in our home back then was was to kill off MRSA and to kill off staff. I bought a cold air diffuser. And in that cold air diffuser, I put these special botanical blends. So I used uh, oil of oregano, and then I used an antifungal blend and an antibacterial blend of essential oils. And... I'll put a link in the show notes to kind of like the story of exactly what I used. And I, I ended up, I'm, I'm not part of this multi-level marketing company, but there's this company called Be Young Essential Oils. And they sell these different blends that are very, very good for addressing certain, um, certain sicknesses, certain illnesses, certain bacteria, certain fungus, mold, etc., and you know it's it's amazing that when you take a plant extract and you concentrate it into an oil how effective that can be and how safe that can be for either topical or diluted oral use so in our house some of the big ones that we use we use lavender oil to help with sleep and that's something that you can put on a kid's pillow and our kids were babies my wife actually made these little lavender oil pillows we use uh oil of oregano to help with with uh, fungal and bacterial issues, and we also use that as a household cleaner. We have another blend of essential oil called oils called Thieves Essential Blend, and that's a blend of cloves and ra- rosemary and basically a bunch of these ingredients that are very very good as antibacterials, antifungals. They can be put in a cold air diffuser when somebody's sick in the house. Um, they can also be used orally, like in a glass of water. Um, but if if you as a mother or a father have not yet started to tap into essential oils or educate yourself on the use of essential oils as an alternative to common medicines, then you're really missing out on a huge, huge part of what the planet Earth has to offer us when it comes to health. So essential oil blends are, are really important. So we basically um, we, we go to either this, this Be Young website to get essential oils. There's another really good website that sells certified organic essential oils called Mountain Road. Herbs, and both of those websites have really good resources on them that help to educate you on which essential oils are good for what. But I would recommend that you go to those websites that you start to outfit your house. And if you open the pantry, or not the pantry, the it's it's the hallway closet, the linen closet in our house, we literally have this this plastic container, kind of like the one at my friend's house, except it's not full of pharmaceuticals and, and drugs. It's just full of about twenty different bottles of different blends and different essential oil extracts. And those are incredibly powerful for a wide variety of conditions. And I highly recommend that if, if you've got kids, that those form the crux of your, of your health treatments rather than, uh, rather than drugs. Yeah, I, 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 I can't 
second that enough. I mean, and, and actually, I, I really like this company uh, called Eden's Garden. And they have over 140 different oils. I mean, it's just kind of shocking, actually. You said that one was called you know, Eden's that, Gardens? Eden's Garden. Uh, and they're, they're therapeutic-grade essential oils. And my wife really got into that, too. Um, I, I personally love eucalyptus oil for any time I get, like, stuffy or anything. Eucalyptus oil is great. But it's... It's pretty amazing. There, uh, there's a lot that you've probably heard of, and there's way more beyond that that you haven't heard of. And as Ben was saying, there's blends that, that these companies make that just magnify the power of these things. Yep. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Absolutely. And, and by uh, the way, two that I didn't mention, kids get warts. Uh, it happens. Lemon oil is awesome for warts. It'll knock out a wart in literally like three days. You just put lemon oil on it in the morning and at night, and it makes kids' warts disappear. And then another one that's really, really good if uh, you as a, as a parent have like bacteria, yeast, fungus, overgrowth, that type of thing, peppermint oil in a glass of water a few times a day is super effective. So I'm, I'm kind of geeking out on oils right now and studying them more, and, and I'm a huge, huge fan of these. Well, have you, so, and I know this is going to touch on another topic that you like, but have you, have you tried lemon balm? Lemon balm is like a topical? I have not. No. Well, I have not. Okay, well... So lemon balm, first of all, has nothing to do with lemon. Uh, it's actually more of like a mint, but it's actually got nootropic factors to it. Uh, it's supposed to be. It's it's supposed to be very. I mean, it is very helpful actually for calming anxiety and and uh, stress to some extent. But it actually has memory improving qualities to it. You can have it as a tea. Interesting. So lemon balm is this is this something that you can just purchase like on Amazon or something? Oh yeah. Like that? Huh. Yeah, totally. I'll have to look into totally. this. Uh, you can get lemon balm tea and uh, even um, yeah, one of the blends that Onnit Labs makes has, has lemon balm in it. Huh. It's, uh, it's really interesting. And it uh, there's there's really good evidence, actually, about its memory-enhancing effects. Interesting. So. Okay, cool. Man, the, the, show, note, the yeah. show notes are going to be golden today for folks because I think I've got oh, like yeah, totally. 20 things written down um, already to look into myself. Well, we're just <laughs> we're hitting so many other topics. So, uh, all right, so my last one. Uh, is uh, two websites which are very similar. Actually, they're identical, but they, they work with different services. So one of them is called IFTTT, and the other one is called Zapier. And IFTTT stands for If This Then That. And as I said, they're both identical services. But what they do is there's a trigger and an action. And what I mean is that you have, with IFTTT, there's like 90 different web services or so, and a lot, lot more consumer-based stuff. And on Zapier, there's more of the business side things. So with IFTTT, you'll see things like Twitter and Facebook, uh, Google Docs, Google Calendar, Dropbox, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then with Zapier, you're going to see more of the harvest invoice tracking and uh, Salesforce and Yammer and those kinds of things, which, you know, depending on what you're doing, they're, they're, they're both very useful. Okay. But IFTTT is free, and you can create these automations that it's the kind of thing that you'll find yourself saying, oh, but that just, you know, that just takes me a minute to do that. I, you know, I do that, it just takes a minute. But that's the problem is that not only do you do that probably 50 times a day and those minutes really do add up, but just like when you have a stoppage of traffic on the highway, one minute of stoppage of traffic on average takes 40 minutes to have traffic flow return to normal. Mm-hmm. If you take a minute to stop doing what you're doing, that high-level thing that you really should be doing, it takes about 20 minutes to get back into the flow of what you were doing. So there's a huge opportunity cost there. Okay. And, of course, when you're taking care of two kids and you're going crazy with all sorts of things and you have a lot of stuff going on in your life, the more that you can automate, the better. So uh, it, it, things as simple, as I said, as like if 
you post something on Twitter, then it can automatically post it on Facebook. That's a very, very basic one. Uh, you can get weather alerts, very specific weather alerts. You can say it actually integrates with the Philips Hue light bulbs that can do color changing, the Nest thermostat, so you can change temperatures. Personally, I have an alert that's set up that if the temperature gets to a certain temp, we're very like conservative, not conservative, but eco-friendly about using our air conditioning and heating. Mm -hmm. So I have these alerts set up so that if the temperature gets too high or too low in the kids' bedrooms, I get a text message immediately. Really? Uh, which is yeah, which is just one of those things that you can act upon really quickly. Uh, there's the Belkin Wemo switches, which is an automated or it's a Wi-Fi controlled light switch, and we have that at our front door. Okay. And it's a it's a, so it's a basic light switch. Uh, it'll turn on and off the light, obviously. But if you hook it up with IFTTT, first of all, y you can use it still to do the basic stuff. But if you hold the switch for two seconds, that's a different trigger. So in my case, if I hold the switch for two seconds, it sets the temperature in all the boys' rooms for basically sleeping temperature, so 68, 69 degrees. Uh, it can change all of their lights to a nice low reddish light, which is not going to affect their sleep. And all of that just from pushing one button. Wow. And again, it's like these, these things are so, it, you might say like, oh, well, what's the point? It's kind of superfluous. But it really does add up and save you a lot of time, and it's just great. So there's the personal stuff there, of course, but then you can use this in your business as well because as far as I'm concerned, if you can save a minute anywhere in your day, or it'll add up and it will make you more effective and allow you to focus more on the things you want to do. So this is one of those things that's like a secret weapon that can just get so much stuff that you do on a daily basis out of your hands and out of your life. You're like George Jetson, dude. I know. It's crazy. Know. Okay, so my last tip is, um, and this is going to sound really simple, but let me give you specifics. I work out with my kids a lot. Um, as recently as this morning, we were practicing on the monkey bars at the, at the park up by the house. Now, some of the things that I do with my kids, um, for example, we go to a park with soccer balls and Frisbees. And the way that it works is they practice their soccer ball kicks. So they'll kick the soccer ball. They'll both kick. And what I have to do is I'm standing behind them. As soon as they both kick, I have to sprint and retrieve one soccer ball, sprint and bring it back, sprint and grab the other soccer ball, bring it back, and then we all do five burpees together. And we'll do the same thing with Frisbees as well, awesome. where one of them will throw a Frisbee. I got to run and try and get to the Frisbee before it lands, and then I run and bring back the Frisbee, and then we all have to do five squats. So we'll play it. It's basically like, like fetch with a dog, except dad is the dog. And then we just throw in these special body weight exercises. So I get a really good workout, and they get to practice their soccer skills and their Frisbee skills. We've got this other one that we do where when we're traveling and we're at a hotel pool, what my wife and I will do is we'll do hypoxic sets, we'll do kick sets, and underwater sets with the kids riding on our backs. So it's like weighted training in a pool because hotel pools are short, they're crappy, they're no good for lap swimming. But this adds in an element that's really hard. So what we'll do is this hypoxic set where we'll swim underwater with the kids riding on our back like, you know, daddy and mommy turtle or daddy and mommy whale. And then when we get to the end of the pool, we do pullouts. So we'll do pullouts with the kids on our back and then go back hypoxic. And then we'll get out of the pool and we'll do some other things like, you know, crocodile crawls with the kids on our backs and push-ups with the kids on our backs. And we do uh, overhead presses with the squats as, as we push the kids. But basically – 
um, using your kids as resistance and specifically using your kids as resistance in the pool, you know, cause I know we have a lot of like triathletes and stuff we listen in. That's another really, really good one. And again, all this stuff also similar to roughhousing increases oxytocin and, and brain derived neurotrophic factor and things like that. Um, the other thing that I'll do is since I'm out in my garage, a lot of the time doing things like kettlebell swings and medicine ball slams, both of my kids have a mini kettlebell and a mini medicine ball. You can just get these off of Amazon or wherever. So when I'm doing those exercises, they know that it's total free reign. They can come out and they see me doing it. They know, like my kids have been doing kettlebell swings since they were three years old. And they see dad doing it and they have their own equipment. If your kids don't have this equipment, they're not going to do it. But if you just kind of add a few little kid things to your home gym and your kids see you doing something, the cool thing is that as a kid sees their parents' exercise, they themselves, and research has proven this, are more likely to be physically fit and active. It, it simply hits this switch in them. And I've found that as my kids get older, they are more and more excited to come and join with me in my workouts. Then I'll, I'll give you one more that I do with my kids. I take them on hikes. But I can hike way faster than a six-year-old can. So I've got a 50-pound weighted vest and a elevation training mask that I wear. So it's like my kids my kids love it. It's like hiking with, with Bane from Batman. Yeah, exactly. But I'll take them on a hike. I get a killer workout. And my kids like it because they're getting to hike. They're getting to be in nature. You know, they're with dad. And um, I, of course, am, am just getting killed trying to keep up with them. And I'll even make it harder by picking them up when they get tired and letting them take turns riding on my back or having me carry them over my head like a like a weighted sandbag. But basically what I'm getting at here is that the sky's the limit when it comes to working mm -hmm. out with your kids and um you know there there are some people that think that kids are a barrier to working out. They want to get everything done in the morning before their kids get out of bed or at night after the kids go to bed. But I've found that I've been able to spend a great deal of quality time with my kids and get myself very fit in the process. So, you know, everything from double jogging strollers to bike trailers to any of the other tips that I just gave you, I highly recommend that folks work those in and um, work out with your kids. All right. So there's a lot of stuff on there. Um, here, here's the few things that I really took away from that and I really use. Uh, the Yo Nana ice cream maker out of, uh, well, banana ice cream. Uh, it's that's, That thing's amazing. Um, you can get it on Amazon. It's, it's called Yo Nana. You basically freeze the bananas and then you can make ice cream out of that. And then you can add like other stuff in there you can sneak all sorts of healthy stuff in there and the kids love it um you know fruits um you know protein powders uh, uh things like that so a very good substitute for ice cream the other big concepts i really picked up and used from that show is uh, kind of exercising and roughhousing with your kids um i always just tried to separate that. Like I, I needed to get my exercise done and then I needed to play with my kids. Those were two separate events. Now, uh, occasionally, not all the time, but occasionally I can sort of combine those things and we, we go to the park and I try and run around and, and 
play with my kids that way, uh, get them some exercise as well. Uh, but the other really cool thing I do is uh, I really like the idea of roughhousing with my son, and then my, my daughter joins in as well. And I was thinking, how, how can I do that? Well, this is what I did. I got these, I went to Amazon and got these big, obnoxious, inflatable, they're, they're sort of like boxing gloves. They're called soccer boppers. S-O-C-K-E-R, and then a bopper, B-O-P-P-E-R. So I got a few of those things. You inflate them, and I just let my uh, my kids just go off and haul off on me and punch me while I try and block it with, like, couch cushions. And then they, they kind of bull rush me, and my, my son loves to say Hulk smash as he tries to uh, clobber me in the face. It's... Um, it's it's great fun and for the most part no one gets hurt. I mean occasionally <laughs> there's a there's a couple little ouchies here and there but uh well worth it to uh kind of exercise and rough house with the kids. So those are the things that I use. Uh another good thing that was mentioned and I'm still trying to figure out how this this ties into being a good parent but uh it, I think it was Ben Greenfield mentioned Amazon subscribe and save that that's a great service. So um if you, you know, get paper towels you can have those sent to your your home every um two months or three months or whatever and literally just today i think i i, I figured out it, it's not all that new but a lot of people uh haven't heard about it i i think i've i've figured out a way to be better than the subscribe and save uh amazon has a as a thing called the dash button d-a-s-h dash buttons and you can Basically, you you pay like four dollars for these buttons, and it's a, it's a little adhesive button that you can stick anywhere. Uh, you sync it up with your Wi-Fi or whatever, and you'll have like a Tide Dash button. So, whenever you run out of say laundry detergent, you just press that button, and it reorders through Amazon, and Amazon Prime ships it over to you within two days. So, if you're getting low on toilet paper or uh, dishwashing detergent or laundry detergent or I've even got um, a trash bag uh, dash button. You just hit the button and it comes straight to your house. So you don't have to worry about writing it down on a, a grocery list and then going and picking it up and, and all that stuff. So this is the kind of activities that uh, Rory Vaden uh, from Procrastinate on Purpose talks about. You know, you spend a little time setting it up and then you save that time time after time after time so you know to order the dash buttons and to sync it and set it up it was probably a an eight minute process but every time i push that button i'm saving myself a a random trip to the grocery store so i'm saving 15 20 minutes uh here and there from now till uh (laughs) eternity so uh i highly recommend trying to uh Check out that subscribe and save or the dash buttons. Those those little time savings, if you do enough of them, they really add up. Okay, that's it, man. We'll see you next show. See you guys. Bye.